Maybe seated. Take your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. Let us consider God's word this morning. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Kids, when it says I, it's talking about Nehemiah, okay? Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the providence beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me, and I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the providence beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with the officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Hornonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly because that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate of the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall and turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were going to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that he had been upon me for good. And also the words that the king had spoken me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? 
Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will rise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. That sends a reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how exciting it is this morning to come and to sit at your feet and have you teach us. Oh Lord, we are a people who need the words of life. We pray this morning that you would preach to our souls, Lord, that you would stir our hearts to faith and to trust you. Lord, may you take and in any, any ways, Lord, that maybe we have sort of settled down in our Christian life to sort of a, a comfortableness uh, that is really not honoring to you. We pray that you would sort of rattle our cages in many ways. Lord, not to, to, to go and to be busy and do things in our own strength, but Lord, to look to you in faith, to trust you for the things that you are calling us to do. Uh, we thank you, Lord, and pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, let me ask you this morning, do you want to be useful for God? And I think most of us would say so, but let me ask you this. Do you want to be useful for God, but you don't see how you can be in your present circumstances? You know, maybe uh, you're just saying, Pastor Rick, I would love to do many things for the Lord. When I was younger, I, w I wanted to go to the mission field. I, I, I remember on Friday nights how I'd go out on the street and I would sort of share the gospel with people I came in touch with. But then I got married and I got responsibilities and I have a family now and there's just all these things that are going on. Or, you're, or you say, well, Pastor Rick, you know, I, I would love to, but, you know, I'm single and... You know, you got to remember, Pastor Rick, all the responsibilities fall on me. If I was married, then I'd have a spouse to help me out with this. But i got to make sure everything is done. And life is busy, and there's just so much things to do. Or, or maybe you're here, and you're older in life, and, and you say, you know, I'd love to, but I just don't have the strength that I once had to do these things. And I, I feel like these days, all I, all I do is go from one doctor's appointment to another, and, and it, it's just sometimes so hard to... To do those things or maybe you're here this morning and kids you're saying pastor rick i'm just a kid what can i do how can i do the work of the lord if i'm just you know seven eight years old you know kids don't forget king josiah was only eight years old when he became king right so you never know how the lord might use you but there might be many reasons we would be discouraged from doing the work of god Sometimes the things God asks us to do can be very intimidating and very overwhelming. Sometimes we just don't know what God wants us to do or we don't even know where to start. And as we come to the book of Nehemiah and the scriptures specifically before us, we see here an example of what every Christian can do regardless of the humdrum or how constrained his or her life may presently be. Uh, I guess if I could put it this way, uh, it's what life in the mundane can look like with God at the helm, right? It's what life in the mundane can look like with God at the helm as he leads and he directs us as to what he wants us to do. And so here in chapter 2, Nehemiah finds himself called to do the work of God. And, and uh, you know, chapter 1 doesn't come right out and say this, but I think Nehemiah is wrestling with what God wants him to do. You know, he's, he's praying for the Israelites and stuff. But, uh, and the reason I say that is because if you look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12, 
At the end it says, And I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. So God had been working on Nehemiah for quite some time. And he was calling him to do a very specific work. But, you know, the obstacles sometimes could be overwhelming. And I think we need to remember that. Because sometimes we read accounts like Nehemiah almost like they're a fairy tale. These aren't real people. These are like champions that didn't struggle with any obstacles or, or difficulties. And so we just think, yes, of course they did that. But you've got to understand the things that, that uh, Nehemiah was wrestling with. You know, the king had stopped the building on the wall. The king, his boss, was the one who had said, we need to stop the building. And here, uh, Nehemiah is getting ready to approach that very same king who had the power of life and death over him to ask him if he could begin rebuilding on the wall again. And then you just think about the job itself of rebuilding the wall. That would be a massive endeavor as well. And uh, not only that, but it, it, he would need help to do so. But you have to understand where the mindset of the Jews were at that time. They were discouraged. They were very disheartened and, and stuff. And also then you have the enemies of God. If you look at verse 10 and the last couple of verses of of the chapter you see that there are those who oppose this work as well and the reality is that there are doubts and fears that arise whenever we set out to do the work of the Lord and they can be very numerous sometimes the obstacles that we encounter and very crippling um, and that was definitely the case with Nehemiah so if you go well Pastor Rick I want to do these things for the Lord but it just I just don't know that I can overcome all these obstacles. That's where he was. But I want us to notice that, that Nehemiah doesn't succumb to these doubts and fears. Instead, he moves forward to accomplish the work that God desired him to do, the work that God called him to do. Now, how is Nehemiah able to do this? Well, it really has nothing to do with the, the great man Nehemiah and what a great leader he was and all these things that we oftentimes hear about Nehemiah. But it had everything to do with how Nehemiah relied upon God to do the work. Do you hear that? It really had everything to do with how Nehemiah relied upon the Lord to do the work. And I say that because oftentimes in the church today, we hear people, even in the church, like I said, who will say, we're going to do great things for God. We're going to, to do a mighty work of God in this city. We're going to take this city for the Lord. And all of that sounds so wonderful. But, but they say it as if what they're saying is, God is giving us the marching orders and we're going to make it happen. And sometimes that's exactly what people who say those things mean. But that's not what Nehemiah is saying. Nehemiah looks to God to do the work through him. It's a, it's a much more humble uh, position. And not only that, I, you know, I, I think the reason why we need to understand the difference in these two approaches is, you know, if you're a person who is timid when it comes to the work of the Lord, or you feel like, oh Lord, what could you possibly do through me in the work of your kingdom? If it, it falls upon your shoulders to make that happen, it's not going to happen. But if you approach this as Nehemiah does, looking to God all along the way to do that work through you, even if you're weak, God could do a mighty work. 
And it gives you that sense of, uh, of uh, looking to him. So as, this morning, as, as, uh, you know, I want us to look at Nehemiah and ask, what do we learn about the ways that Nehemiah goes forward to do the work of God? The ways that he relies upon God to accomplish this work. And I want us to look at three things. First of all, we can have boldness to do the work of God. As his children, we can have boldness to do the work of God. Look at verses 1 through 4. Uh, but before we delve into that text, I, I, I would probably be good to go back to chapter 1 a little bit because chapter 1 and 2 are, are tied together. I almost wish I could have preached them in one sermon, but that would have been a very long sermon. But, but we do learn in Nehemiah chapter 1 that Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. And kids, we talked last week about what that meant, okay? And then you have uh, Hanani who comes back with some other Jews from Jerusalem, they come to Susa where Nehemiah serves the king. And, and, and Nehemiah asked them, he asked them, what's the report from Jerusalem? They didn't come and say, hey, guess what's happening with God's people? You see, the Lord had already been working in Nehemiah's heart to be concerned for the people of God. And so he inquired about them and they said, well, actually, it's not well. It's not going well at all. And so what did Nehemiah do is Nehemiah hit his knees and he began to pray. As a matter of fact, it tells us in the text that he began to fast and pray. And he didn't just do so, you know, for uh, a day or a meal or a week or a month. Actually, if you look at the time frame between chapter 1 and chapter 2, it looks like he prayed and fasted for three to five months. Let's just say four months, okay, that he fasted and prayed. Now, I know our church has been fasting and praying about this building opportunity, seeking the Lord to see what he wants to do. And some of you kids have fasted some. And you're probably thinking, three to five months, Pastor Rick? That's a long time to go without food or without my snacks or whatever. I don't know that he necessarily prayed the whole time. But over that period of time, he was, he was definitely praying and, and he was fasting. Uh, asking God to do something about the situation at Jerusalem. Well, sometimes that's the way it is for us, is it not as well? There are things in our life that we pray about, and we pray about, and we pray about, and there's no answer. And sometimes you might wonder, why, Lord? Why is there no answer? Why are you being silent? And, you know, of course, there could be many reasons why that might be true. But let me suggest to you that oftentimes it is because God is teaching us to be patient and to be dependent. To be patient and to be dependent. You know, and, and the Lord does this oftentimes with the people he's going to use in the Bible, men and women. Uh, let me just remind you of a few. What about Abraham? You know, the Lord had promised him a son. Do you know how long Abraham waited for Isaac to be born? 25 years. 25 years. Now, imagine what you were doing 25 years ago, today. Some of us are old enough, we can't remember that. You know, others of us weren't even around 25 years ago, you know. But some of us were. And you think about 25 years ago, that's a long time that Abraham waited. What about Joseph? Uh, he spent time as Potiphar's slave, and then he spent two years in prison before the Lord exalted him uh, to the position uh, that he could be used for the benefit of the world, really, at that known time. 
What about Israel and Egypt? For 400 years as they cried out to the Lord, asking him to deliver them. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness as God did a work in his heart before the Lord used him. David spent most of his uh, 20s running away from King Saul. And then even uh, Paul in the New Testament uh, waited 14 years before he really was used of God for the spreading of the gospel and the building up of the church. You see, those whom God uses must learn to wait upon Him. Must learn to wait upon the Lord. You see, God wants to train us to look to Him alone for the answer. But see, that's not the natural inclination of our heart, is it? When you encounter difficulties in life, struggles as you have to make decisions, don't you try to talk to everybody? Don't you try to gather as much information and try to, you know, just do whatever you can to try to answer that. But the Lord sometimes wants to put us in those positions where nobody else can give us an answer. Where all we have to do is to be in His presence and wait upon Him. And to trust in Him. Turning from all the other sources, learning to rest and trust in Him alone. And it's in those times of prayer that we become less full of ourselves and have our vision filled with the glory and the purpose of God. Right? You know, you've heard me say before, something that I've heard from an older, wiser, seasoned pastor, that before God can use a man greatly or a woman greatly, he must wound them deeply. And that's what I'm talking about. Sometimes God has to empty ourselves of ourselves and all of our self-sufficiency and the things that we do that we might look to Him. And that's where Nehemiah is. God is doing a work in his heart. And so Nehemiah continues to pray. Not because he's unsure if God is going to act, but rather because this is the place of waiting. Where God changes His children and reveals Himself to them through prayerful meditation upon the Word of God. And if you don't believe that, just go back and read the, the prayer in Nehemiah 1, and you'll see it's just full of references to the Word of God uh, as Nehemiah prays. Now, Nehemiah waits in prayer. And, and I, I honestly believe, while the text doesn't tell us specifically this, I, I really do believe that it's during this time that God begins to reveal to Nehemiah that, that Nehemiah is going to be the one to go and to rebuild the temple. And I say that because if you look at uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, the king asks Nehemiah what he wants, and Nehemiah doesn't say, hmm, that's a good question. Let me think about that. You know, he, he says, well, I want this and this and this and this. And in verses 5 through 8, he just lays out the whole plan that he has, which sort of implies that God has been working on his heart and challenging him. And Nehemiah has been thinking about that. And so he begins uh, to pray. He begins to pray. Uh, and and uh, so he has a well laid out plan. When God does begin to finally move, uh, as we see in chapter 2, Nehemiah is ready because God had prepared him to carry out the call that he had placed upon him. Well, one day what happens is Nehemiah is praying and he's waiting on God. And the king notices that uh, Nehemiah is sad. 
Well, kids, I just want you to know this. Uh, you were not allowed to be a servant in the presence of the king and be sad. Can you imagine that? So if you had had a really hard day, if you had a fight with your brothers and sisters, and you were just furious, and you know sometimes how you sort of pout, you weren't allowed to do that in the presence of the king. No, no Debbie Downers, you know, in the court of the king. You had to always be happy. Sort of like we expect our actress, actresses and actors to be, right, in movies. They, no matter what they're going through in their personal lives, they need to always put on the show, right? And that was sort of the, the case with Nehemiah as well. But on this particular day, he was very sad. And, and, and it would show. And the king recognized that this was really uh, a sadness of the heart. Now, you know, I think oftentimes, and, and I think this is really the case, that Nehemiah uh, was grieved and he didn't realize his face was showing it. And so the king says, you look sad. Well, you can just imagine, if you're not supposed to look sad, and the king just says, you look really sad, what's that going to do? It's going to cause fear in your heart, right? You're going to think, uh-oh, what's going to happen now? You know, uh, but uh, there's others who think that Nehemiah had actually intentionally let his feelings show to the king in order that the king might ask him about it that it might sort of force the situation. You know, honestly, the text doesn't tell us, and honestly, it doesn't really matter which way it was. The point is, the king knew. And, and regardless of whether it was intentional or not, it was a risky business for Nehemiah. If the king just discovered it, then all of a sudden, what's going to happen? If Nehemiah had planned it, uh, still, he, he wasn't sure what's going to happen. Maybe you've had those situations in your life where you had to confront somebody about a sin, where you had to talk to somebody about a difficult situation. Just because you planned that ahead of time doesn't mean that that's an easy thing to do, right? You still very much feel maybe timid about that situation because you don't know what it's going to be like, how it's going to work out. But regardless, he's, uh, the king confronts Nehemiah, and, uh, and Nehemiah uh, it says... I was very much afraid in verse 2. Now, if Nehemiah uh, is surprised, like I said, that, that's very un understandable. But uh, you have to understand what a difficult situation this was for Nehemiah. Uh, back in Ezra chapter 4, uh, we read that it was actually King Artaxerxes that had stopped the work on the building of the wall, that the people had completed the temple, years had gone by, and then they started the work on the wall. And then the local officials wrote and said, you know, these people are starting to rebuild the wall. King, I wonder if they're rebelling against you. You know, I, I think it'd be good to put a stop to this. And King Artaxerxes wrote, and he said, yes, there needs to be a stop to that. As a matter of fact, let me just, just read to you uh, Ezra chapter 4 verse 21 it says therefore make a decree that these men be made to cease and that this city not be rebuilt and of course Artaxerxes did that but there was sort of a loophole in the declaration because that verse goes on and says until a decree is made by you the reality is Artaxerxes could change his mind and he could have given permission for the walls to be rebuilt and so Nehemiah's request is not unreasonable, but it is risky. And so Nehemiah goes forward th through obedience to God's call on his life and to rebuild the temple. 
And I think we need to understand here that Nehemiah fears God more than the king. And that's what prolonged prayer does in, in our lives as uh, God's people. It convinces us of the sovereign, loving character of God. It, it challenges what we think we believe about God until we actually believe it about God and, and we are ready to act upon that. As we spend time in God's presence uh, praying to Him, uh, we, we, it, it begins to change us. Uh, as we have those times of prayer with the Lord every day. And, and before uh, Nehemiah goes forward in obedience, he prays. Um, and that's significant um, because he knows that he needs to do so. But then the king asked Nehemiah, he said, what is it that you're requesting? And what does Nehemiah do? He prays again. Even though he spent four months, three to five months praying, it says in verse 4, he prays again. Now, what does he pray? I don't know. It was probably something like, help, Lord, or Lord, give me wisdom, or Lord, give me favor in the sight of the king. You know, it was just something really quick. And, you know, it wasn't like he got down on his knees, kids, and he began to say, oh, Lord, God of heaven above, I beseech thee that you would hear my prayer. You know, it wasn't something like that. His lips were probably not even moving. You know how sometimes you just pray in your mind, and that's what Nehemiah was most likely doing. And while we don't know what he prayed, it was a, a quick prayer uh, in which he uh, turned to the Lord. And I want us to see that there's a place in the life of believer for both times of prayer and also for short prayers. God does use short prayers, just quickie prayers if you want to call them that, uh, for particular situations that we find ourselves in. But one thing that is sort of disturbing to me, I think, as, as a pastor, is as I talk to Christians, I, I'm sort of, uh, I don't know if the word's amazed, take it back, I don't know, by how many Christians confess that they really have no regular prayer time in their life. That instead, their prayer life sort of just consists of nothing but those quickie prayers throughout the day. Uh, it's not a bad thing to pray quickie prayers, but it's insufficient. And, and the reason I say that is, if our habit is to only pray the quickie prayers of, Lord, help me this, Lord, help me with that, then our focus becomes upon our needs. And just, Lord, can you help me with this need? And so then it almost becomes like us uh, uh, dispensing like a candy machine or getting a pop out of a pop machine or something like that. We just want an answer to our prayers but when we have a time of extended prayer with the Lord, a time daily uh, where we are wrestling uh, with God over issues in our life, we're bringing our needs before Him, and we're grappling with His character as it relates to our circumstances, then, then what happens is there's a relationship between us and God. We begin to, to come to know God in a way that Maybe we had not known Him before. Or there's things that we know about God that we know from His Word, but still we are struggling to believe those things and to live according to those things that are true about God. But as we pray to Him, then we begin to see ourselves changing and trusting and, and knowing Him. And then when God answers our prayers... We are ready to act. 
You know, as one is trained by such daily prayer, then it becomes habitual to pray short prayers. If you pray short prayers, uh, you may do that from time to time, but if you have those long extended times of prayer, then it becomes more the habit of the Christian to pray in just about any and every circumstance. And that's what Nehemiah does here. He has had his plan. The king asked him a question, what do you want from me? And he could have easily answered that because I think he really knew what his answer was going to be. But he didn't know how the king was going to respond. So he comes to the Lord and he prays and he asks. Now, the, what I want us to see in the text today is this. Where does Nehemiah get his boldness to move forward in the work of the Lord? And he gets it from prayer, from communing with the Lord. Um, I just, I love, I love Mark's announcement this morning that those ladies that are working on the greater Andover days, you know, they are calling us to prayer as a congregation. I love to see that, and I see that more and more and more in your lives as God's people. As we are getting ready to do something, your first instinct more and more is getting to be, let's pray about this first. And I'm just so thankful as a pastor that that's becoming more and more of your instinct. Well, the king ends up granting Nehemiah his request, uh, just like we've seen many times in Ezra, where God worked in the heart of the king. Um, it just reminds us of Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And, and we see that's exactly what happened in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8. And the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of God was upon me. God had turned the heart of Artaxerxes so that he would grant Nehemiah's request. So Nehemiah's boldness comes from his confidence that God is sovereign over all things. Not just his head knowledge of this, but a confidence in his heart, in his mind, his will, and his affections that steps out in confidence, trusting that this is who the Lord is. The second thing that we see is that we're called not only to be bold, but to plan in our work of God. You know, sometimes people sort of look at planning and faith as diametrically opposed to one another. But Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem, and actually he's going there for the first time in his life. He's been praying for the people. He's been praying for the city. He's obviously been thinking about how he might rebuild the walls, but he's, he's never been there. And, and so he, he comes, and he shows up with a military escort, Unlike Ezra, kids, remember, Ezra had all that money, that silver, that gold, and he told the king, yeah, I don't need any guards, the Lord will protect us, and God did. You know, Nehemiah does the opposite. He goes ahead and he brings the guards with him uh, because, you know, most likely he wanted to show a presence that, you know, this is a change in policy. The king is allowing the building of the walls, and I just want you to know that I come in the name of the king. He has the letters, but he also then has this military escort. And I want us to see here, as we look at this text, that Nehemiah's planning and his faith actually go hand in hand. They go together. Nehemiah trusts that God was in charge, that God was controlling all things for his purpose, but he also understood that God uses means to accomplish his purpose. In other words, God uses people, God uses things, God uses circumstance. He does his work through those things. So both planning and faith go hand in hand. 
but but notice in verse 10 that as everything seems to be going very well then we read in verse 10 but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel now there's documentation uh, that's been unearthed in archaeology to show that Sanballat was the governor of Samaria and we do know that eventually Nehemiah became the governor of the region so you know Sanballat had a, a lot to lose here as well as Tobiah who was also an official over the region of Ammon and these two uh, had authority over this area and so they were sort of coming to show Nehemiah they were flexing their muscles just sort of showing that they could make life very difficult for them and these two men did not want to see Israel prosper in any way as we uh, see in verse 10 but we see now why Nehemiah planned ahead of time now whether he had heard from Hanani that there were troublemakers there and so he knew that he had to to make a plan and so he he brought letters and stuff with him to show his authority or whether he just knew that anytime there's God's work there's always going to be opposition I don't know but either way he shows great wisdom in asking for the letters from the king and bringing the guard and that's what we see in Nehemiah that he was a man in his planning that walked in the wisdom of the Lord uh, notice that Nehemiah takes steps towards the rebuilding of the wall but he begins first of all by surveying the situation uh, so he knows what he's up against and and even before laying the plans before the religious leaders uh, and the people who are going to do the work he surveys everything to sort of check it out this shows that Nehemiah is a man of great wisdom but he's also shrewd in his plans and the execution of those plans Nehemiah shows his wisdom by the way he plans to do the work of God uh, we want to see oftentimes uh, as Christians today even God's work go before us and we want to see the work of God go forward in Andover and the surrounding communities uh, we want to see the church of God being built up and in one sense this means we have to trust the Lord who is sovereign over all things knowing that he will do his work knowing that he is the one who will build up his church but at the same time we must be people who walk in wisdom we must be people who plan and uh, to do the work that God has given us to do I hope you see that whether we're praying or we're planning or we're proceeding in those plans uh, with what is God's will there must be a constant dependence upon him there must be a sense of looking to God and earlier as I used that illustration about there are some in the church who do things for God and then there's other people in whom they look to God to do things through them there's a huge difference in those two and it is that sense of dependence checking our plans against the Word of God examining our motives in light of the Word of God to see if the not only what we're doing but the way that we're doing it is according with God's Word you know I'm excited uh, as we have our fast team who is sort of spearheading this whole building thing uh, I, I just I could overlay Nehemiah right over the top of the fast team this is exactly what I see them doing I see them praying and proceeding 
and praying and proceeding and walking in wisdom and trusting the Lord and doing the due diligence, but trusting the Lord. And just there's that constant back and forth in trusting Him. You know, earlier I said that some in the church are highly motivated to accomplish God's work, uh, but unfortunately that doesn't mean that they're doing it God's way. So even in our planning, we must do so in God's wisdom. I mean, uh, what's that verse, kids, that your parents probably have taught you? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths, or He'll make your paths straight, right? God will lead and guide us. So Nehemiah is a man of action, but above all, he is a man who trusts in the Lord to do the work. Um, the third thing we see here is, is that we are being called to begin the work of the Lord. We are here to begin the work of the Lord. Verses 17 and 18. Nehemiah goes out and he, he surveys the wall. And he mentions all these places that are foreign to us. Sounds like a sort of names from Lord of the Rings or something, doesn't it? You know, uh, all the different gates and, and stuff. But we read in verse uh, 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for their good work. You see, Nehemiah doesn't just simply pray and plan but now he begins to do the work that God has given him to do. And it goes without saying, to do this, Nehemiah can't do it himself. And so he must go to the people and he must share what God wants them to do. But as I said earlier, these were people that were struggling. These were people who started to rebuild the wall and then they were told they can't do it. They also had leaders that were over them, that were opposed to them. They did not want to see the people of God prosper. They didn't want to see their well-being uh, looked after. And so here is Nehemiah coming to talk to a very discouraged and disheartened people to share with them what God's plan was. And notice how Nehemiah explains that now is the time to rebuild the temple, right? You know, uh, he comes to them and he, he convinces them what they need to do. In verse 18 he said and now I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for the good you see the first thing that Nehemiah does in the process of rebuilding is that he bears witness to the goodness of God and this is meant to show the Jews that God is with them and he is leading them and, and as they do the work of God they must be reminded that God's hand is upon them for good you know and we need that, brothers and sisters. As we do the work of the Lord in the various ways, whether it's discipleship, whether it's loving one another, whether it's witnessing in, out in the world, whether it's sending out missionaries, whatever it must be, we must understand that it is the good hand of the Lord that is going, uh, that is with us. And going through this process of looking for a new building has really forced me, personally, I know, to, to think about that. You know, as we've thought about writing letters to other churches to explain what the Lord is doing here and to invite them to be part of this, 
You know, it's, it's caused me to reflect upon God's goodness and faithfulness to Kirk of the Plains. To see, really, the only reason we exist through a worldwide pandemic and all the struggles that a small church can have and all these things is only because God's good hand has been upon us. And so we can give praise and thanks to Him for that. Um, but God's been good to us not only corporately, but also individually as well. And that's one of the reasons we have prayer requests in the bulletin. So people can see uh, each other's needs. We can pray for one another, but then also we can see the answers to those prayers and, and see how God is working in each other's lives. So let us be reminded of God's goodness as we look forward to what God can and will do through us as we boldly step forward to do His will uh, as His people, uh, to His honor and to His glory. And so imagine how encouraging it was for the people to hear Nehemiah talk about all the things that God had done for them. Uh, but here again, no sooner did they agree to start the work than there was more opposition in verses 19 and 20. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, the servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you're doing? Are, are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. You see, God's people face opposition here. And we ought not to be surprised, brothers and sisters, if you take this to heart and you say, Lord, I want to be involved in your work. I want you, Lord, to use me however you so choose uh, in this church body. Uh, Lord, in the community in which I live, I understand that you will face opposition. Don't be surprised. Wherever there is God's work, there will be opposition. But notice Nehemiah's reply in verse 20. Nehemiah doesn't appeal to the edict of the king. He doesn't come back to, to Sambalad and Tobiah and say, Hey guys, you have no legal grounds to stop us. I have letters, I have proof, I even have the muscle right here to back me up to show you that I'm correct and there's nothing you can stop us from rebuilding these walls. Uh, no. What's interesting is, is where uh, Nehemiah draws his confidence from. He doesn't draw his confidence from the circumstance that the king has smiled favorably upon him. He instead draws his confidence from the character of his God. He says to them, then I reply to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or claim in Jerusalem. He says, not only will you not be able to stop us, but you guys are actually trespassing on private property. This is not your place. You have no part with God's people. It's almost like you hear people say, Get thee behind me, Satan. You know, it's almost like that's what Nehemiah is saying. And I think we have to understand, brothers and sisters, that to oppose the people of God. Now hear this. I want you to hear this. To oppose the people of God, the church, when the church is faithfully obeying God's will, is to obey God himself, or is to oppose God himself. If you're opposing the church when they're obeying God, then really what's happening is you're opposing God himself. And so brothers and 
brothers and sisters, my question is this. Why do we get upset when the culture moves against the church in an unfavorable way? You know, why do we get discouraged? Why do we think, oh no, you know, this now is becoming part of our culture. It should sadden us, but it ought not to intimidate us. Because really our culture is opposing God. And God will stand against that. God will bring His justice. God will continue His work in His kingdom. And we have nothing to fear. We ought to be bold to pursue and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Knowing that God will do His work in the culture around us. And so we read these godless men how they jeered at, at us and they despised us as we read in verse 19. What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? The best they could do is blow smoke. You know, the most, the most they could do is seek to intimidate. And that's what's happening in our culture today. There's intimidations to seek to say, if you don't conform to our language, if you don't use our policies, well then there's going to be hell to pay for you. And we ought not to be intimidated by that, brothers and sisters. We serve a mighty God. And God's plan cannot be stopped regardless of the opposition. And so understand, Christians, that you will be opposed when doing God's work. And it doesn't matter how much praying or planning you do, the enemy will oppose you in the work that you do. Expect it. Be ready for it. But don't be thrown off by it. And don't be discouraged by it. Keep it in perspective that God is the one that they're opposing and God will fight His enemies. Greater is He who is in me than he who is in the world. Let us not be discouraged, brothers and sisters. In closing, let me just say this. You know, as we look at the story of Nehemiah, it is an incredible story of a man of faith who trusts the Lord. And it ought to inspire and encourage us but I would suggest to you that this story is much larger than the story of Nehemiah. It really is the story of Jesus. He is the one who is standing at center stage. You know, if you look at Nehemiah and Christ, there's sort of some similarities and some contrast. Let me just go through the contrast first. Nehemiah was sent by the king to do the work of God, whereas Jesus was sent by God the Father to come and to do the work here upon earth. Nehemiah enjoyed the favor of this king, but Jesus was rejected by all earthly kings and all earthly authorities. Nehemiah was sent with letters to protect him and shield him from the opposition, but Jesus was sent with no such letters. He came fully giving himself over to mankind that he might be arrested and he might be crucified. You see, Nehemiah asked the people for help for his mission but Jesus there was no one who could share his mission only he could die as the pure lamb of God for the sins of his people how were they the same well if Nehemiah came to seek the welfare of the people of Israel how much more did Jesus come into this world on a mission to seek the welfare of the people of God to do for them what they could not do to do for us what we would not do. The Bible says no one seeks God, even in our sin. But God sought us and He pursued us that we might come to faith in Him. Nehemiah is moved to pray and to fast over the people of God. 
How much more was Jesus moved to bear the burdens of his people, not only to pray for them, but to act on behalf of them? Nehemiah came to rebuild the cities, the, the walls of a city uh, whose, whose walls would once again fall. We know that uh, to this day the, the walls of Jerusalem are gone except for one little portion. But Jesus came not building a fading city that could be torn down by the hands of man, but Jesus came to bring an everlasting city, a city that even stands now in the presence of God that ever abides for the people of God. What does the writer of Hebrews say in Hebrews 13, 14? For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Brothers and sisters, that's our hope here this morning, that this world is not the end of our existence, but we look forward to a better time. The city that Jesus builds for his people will never crumble, it will never fade away, and you cannot be removed from it. Revelation 22 says that the, the city will descend from heaven to remain for all eternity. And the people of God will dwell safely in that city. And it will be their portion and their inheritance. Now how could we inherit such a city? Because all those born not by blood but born by Christ in faith are the ones that he gave the right to become children of God to have an everlasting inheritance. And if you come to Jesus this morning by faith and you trust Him, then you have a city, an inheritance that cannot be taken away. But if you don't know Christ, if you say, oh yeah, I don't need that religious stuff, I don't need God, then you're still outside in a place of great threat and damnation. But just as God made Nehemiah a great man so he can change our hearts so he can take us those of us who as the Bible says are hostile to God and he can make us his children if we will only acknowledge our sin and trust in him please bow with me this morning as we reflect upon God's word that's preached this morning Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you have saved the people to yourself. You have created your church. And you have called all of us who are your children to be involved in the work that you are doing in this world. And as a matter of fact, you've given all of us spiritual gifts and abilities to do, to do various things. And you have called us, Lord, to be your witnesses in, in the world. Uh, God, please 
give us boldness to step out of faith and, and to trust you, Lord, for the things that you are calling us to. I thank you, God, that many people in our congregation are doing just exactly that, that they serve you and they, they trust you. But, Lord, may we always check our hearts to make sure that the things that we're doing, even in the church, aren't things that we're doing in our own strength and in our own wills, uh, Lord, but that we are doing them humbly. We are doing them prayerfully. We are doing them, Lord, looking to you and trusting in you. And I pray, God, that you would work not only through our individual lives, but through the corporate life of our church, God, to follow you. And Lord, to be a witness in the community. Of course, God, we pray not only for our own church, but all your churches, Lord, that they would honor you. And we would pray, God, that we would do so with great boldness. Forgive us for our timidity. Forgive us for our fear, God. Rebuke us, Lord, in our sin. And bring us to repentance over the fearful ways that we have approached the culture that we have had. And God, please cause us to have much time of waiting in your presence to know the glory of who you are. So that, Lord, as you're ready to act, we're ready to move. And to move following you with great boldness, Lord, trusting you. And may you do a mighty work here in Andover and in the neighboring communities, Lord, to see your kingdom go forth in great power. Lord, let not your people be the ones that stand in your way. But, Lord, may you use us as your instruments. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.